This is Cowboy Shed with Ted and Wacy, presented by Everything Cowboy. Folks think you're rich when they see you have horses. Well, that might be true if my income sources weren't eating up every month on the boardage for all of our four-legged friends. My accountant says that my funds are depleted, but I keep my wealth right where I can see it. In pastures and barns and in showrooms, and because of the money she spends. We're horse poor, horse poor, I sell one, she buys two more. The luxuries we could afford, if we was rich and not horse poor. Well, that's our friend Corb Lund. And Jada Dreyer with Horse Poor just released in the last couple days. This is Cowboy Finally. Shit. Yeah, finally. This is Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. I'm Ted. He's Wacy. Episode 85 is here. And it's, I'm convinced uh, that song is about my mom. That's what you were saying before. Hey, you. Uh, yeah, just with the amount, like growing up and the amount of horses that have been through our place and that my mom has bought and sell, sold, I, I am 100% convinced that that song is about. Like my you're. Mom. Your like mom and dad didn't even have a house until recently, because they were horse poor. Like they they essentially they yeah only bought the. Bought it's more so it's recently. more so with like the nature of the industry <laughs> they work in, but yeah, it's it could be a bit of it could be attributed to that. But that in saying that, the horse the horse selling is probably would help them and the get the house buy that place. Yeah, yeah so. there you go, man. It's it's quite the industry that's for sure. We just oh like my girlfriend and I just got back from a trip to Easter Regina and back with a load of five horses for them. So five and horses yeah, at we one time up, we picked up three in broadview and then picked up two in regina on our way back from broadview damn so it was a long trip man commercial I, hauling I don't recommend not a, did, not a job choice of mine did you uh were you paid uh handsomely for your services <laughs> i mean no but that's, when that's, you that's part of like when you do stuff for your parents so it's even like growing up on the ranch you you just basically free labor so and then uh, yeah and i'm always going to be my parents will always just be able to pull that card on me until the day I die. So, and, it's, and I mean, it's always nice to help them out a bit too. But man, it was Fair. a long trip. I, I am dead even to this moment right now. I'm freaking <laughs> wiped. No, I'm not used to be. I'm not used to the hard miles on the road anymore. That's probably the furthest you've been since uh, summertime, since you went to the stag party. Hey, eh? like usually you'd make a trip like that once every couple of weeks, and now it's like twice yeah. in the last year. Yeah, really? I don't make that trip near as much anymore. I used to, I was like telling. Remy on the way, like there, when I was CCA rodeoing still, like we'd make that trip once a weekend almost. And now, uh, now I'd make it once every, once a year, once, once or twice a year now. And it's, it's a long, especially when you don't like take any time to just hang out. Like we literally drove to Emerald Park, back. slept overnight, got up at six or five, I guess like almost five Alberta time, went over Broadview, picked up horses and drove straight back. Like it was a quick trip. Quick there and back. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah. I get it. Well, Horse Poor, the song from Corb and Jada, uh, is now out. It's a song they've been performing and singing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Pretty uh, popular little track that didn't make an album till now. Made the uh, Agricultural Tragic album on the uh, on the deluxe version. So that song title that fits the album name like to a T. Yeah, it's <laughs> ideal, ideal, and really cool song though from Corb and uh, and Jada there. One we've seen him perform a long time for a long time, but cool mm-hmm. for that they finally uh, released it. So mm-hmm. get that mm-hmm. one for yourselves on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to your music. Make sure to buy the records though and buy the music. That's the best for the. For That's the how they make the cash. Artists, as we now know, especially right now with no live shows, is you got to have have uh, some sales to back. I was, okay, so I was thinking I was thinking about the other day. 
Um, is it weird that like I love going to like concerts and live music? It's one of my favorite things to do. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely hate like live recordings of songs. I don't hate them, but I just like I really don't like like it. Hmm. Is that a strange thing? I don't know. I don't know what to say. You you like being at the shows, but the live recordings aren't great. I mm. uh, I think a lot of it's about the experience for sure. Yeah. But like and like some live performances I've been to have been like absolutely like some of the best thing I've ever heard in my life. But just I have like even like since I've gotten to the vinyl, I ended up picking up like an Eric Church, like his live album. And it's not, it's just not the same for me. I just, I love the studio like recording it. versions of stuff and I'm trying to listen to it when I'm just chilling. I think it's weird. It's really strange just given how much I love live music, how much I hmm. don't like the, the live recordings of songs. I don't know. I don't know what to say there, Wace. I can't, mm-hmm. can't really say much. I'm not, I don't, I don't have an opinion at this point. Oh, I, fair enough, dude. I, but I kind of agree on some of it though. And I can't play any live versions of stuff at any event. So I've mm. always steered away from it. So mm-hmm. it'd sound weird to have something live on a, on a show, but I like at, at a live show we were doing, right? To have a live mm-hmm. recording. So yeah. That'd be a weird dynamic. <laughs> we better get right to it here, Wes. Um, so it turns out, uh, friend of the show, episode 74, if I remember right, Matt Cohen is having a little bit of a. He's in some hot water. I don't know if he's in some hot water. He's, he's in the middle of a battle of some sort he's in the middle of a tiff with the prca mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and for those who don't know go check out his stories on facebook and posts on facebook and on the instagram and whatnot check it out for yourself make your own uh Judgment. assumptions but at one point this was a while ago now but the prca actually sent him a letter saying that they were going to find him for talking about getting fined while on our show <laughs> We already sent Matt a note. We'll t- we told him we'd pay, pay that fine. But apparently the PRCA is running up a bill for about $250,000 in Bantam for like 20 years. Right what? Now. Really? Yeah. Man, you haven't been following this? Holy shit. No. That, man, a, I've been on the road all weekend. It's been going on for a couple weeks. But anyways. I, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways. I knew, I got, I was like, okay, I shouldn't say that. I don't know anything that's going on. But I didn't know it was like for that sum of money. That's insane. Yeah. And I mean he doesn't have to pay it if he doesn't want to go back to any PRCA rodeos, which I doubt he will now. Um, I don't know what to say on it, but it, it's, it's quite the deal. So just kind of making people Seems aware. a bit like Check it out. ludicrous to me in a sense. Oh yeah. Very but ludicrous. Anyways. Yeah. Some intellectual property that maybe uh, have been used without a certain license. But then again, I'm not sure what the rules are with the PRCA. I know at one point with the, with the PBR and with the PRCA, I think that uh, whenever a photographer, like especially with the CPR and PRCA, the, they buy a card for you know insurance purposes and and whatnot, whatever else. But those events are almost like private, so that people can't take and sell photos. But mm-hmm. PRCA took a photo and then gave it to somebody else, which isn't quite right. But yeah, they, no, it doesn't add up for sure. But I think some of them, some of the associations own whatever they did photographer shoots but i don't know what i don't know what all the rules are so where do you draw line? yeah yeah get a photographer on to talk about the certain rules or maybe ask matt exactly what's going on. maybe maybe we got to ask somebody from, from the prca what the hell's going on too seems like quite the deal but um mm-hmm. anyways that's uh one one of the things that's going on right now it's almost spring up here our way dude how about the snow in texas yeah quite the storm that's insane dude gotta send our thoughts to all the folks down there that's yeah, quite Jesus. the wreck Quite the wreck. I know last time 
I was down there and there was snow. It was a disaster because there's no salt trucks. It was just a total mess. Oh, dude, when I was in college in Texas, there was a skiff of snow and they shut down the college for two days. Yeah. Like nobody could drive. Like there's, it was nuts. So I can only imagine what it's like with actual like winter temperatures down there. We drove from Vegas to Fort Worth, like when I was in school down there to go to the rodeo. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was a total wreck there. Just like, like nothing I've ever seen before. Cause up here you'll get snow and you'll get, uh, you know, you'll get a big, big storm and it's bad for a while, but like, it was bad for like a week. Like it, it wasn't good till we got heading back on the way home. It was like four or five or a, mm-hmm. maybe a week later. It was wild, but quite the time. That's great. I remember like telling telling a story or like a time when I was living at your place and there was a, like a nasty snowstorm on like probably like three or four feet of snow at one point. You might've been at the NFR or I'd gone somewhere, but anyways, I was just hanging out. It was like a Saturday and Deerfoot was closed and like, it was a nasty snowstorm, whatever. So a buddy texts me, he's like, Hey, come for a beer. So whatever. I take a 40 minute Uber ride to the Southwest to oh, go no. to a brewery in this snowstorm and it's just oh, and it's no. crazy to see what's going down down in texas with like whatever and then we just like there's people up here who do like we'll drive through a snowstorm to go ski for a day or whatever like it's yeah it's wild <laughs> to see how much different of a landscape it is the uh getting back to horse poor I, I i have you watched the video yet i haven't watched full video yet no did you see most of it parts i saw it? like it's whatever clips were posted on social media and stuff i don't watch much okay. music videos to be honest with you okay yeah I um, the uh I'm I'm curious what the what the shirt budget was on the on the video the video <laughs> shoot. There are some pretty fancy shirts, so if you haven't seen the music video, you gotta check that out too. But um, what else we got? Waste we got uh, almost springs here. We're almost a year into this uh, pandemic bullshit, and uh, yeah, the year of mercy, man. What's like the what's the one positive thing that's come from you? Like the one your biggest take or your biggest like I don't know positive thing to happen. I guess like what's like something you're done proud this of before have we done it already in yeah, a year like, what a year we did the merch right like it hasn't been a, it's been most of a year but like yeah the I merch guess, is yeah. a big thing that yeah. we started cooking more at home it's just crazy it's just old, crazy to see that's all you're a year of this man cleaning Wild. out all the old bottles at the house the alcohol mm-hmm. you know finished a bottle of scotch out the day that i saw on a, <laughs> i saw the label said 2014 so yeah that stuff's probably more alcoholic now but yeah, man. Yeah, things are good. Uh, awesome show we got on tap here today. Uh, CJ Box, my favorite author, has been since I was a kid in school. He's uh, coming up after after the break here. Wait, you got any uh, any song requests for the oh man for the interlude? The I'm putting uh, myself on the spot too because I don't know what to play here right now. I'm just trying to think <laughs> of what. Uh, what would be a good uh, I got nothing for you right All now. Right. Well, this is episode 85 of Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. Our interview with Mr. CJ Box coming up after the break. He's a number one New York Times bestselling author of 28 novels, including the Joe Pickett series. He won the Edgar Allan Poe Award for the best novel for Blue Heaven in 2009. He was awarded the 2016 Western Heritage Award for Literature by the National Cowboy Museum and the Spur Award 
from Western Writers of America for Best Contemporary Novel. The novels have been translated into 30 languages and over 10 million copies of his books have been sold in the U.S. and abroad. He's an, ex an executive producer on ABC's Big Sky, which is based on his Cassie Duell novels, starting with The Highway. Hailing from Saratoga, Wyoming, where he lives with his wife, Lori, please welcome to the program, C.J. Box. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being on the show. I, uh, you've been, uh, somebody I've wanted to have on the show since we kind of started it. And I, we got to, I got to meet you last year at the NFR through our friend, uh, Stu Pearson. And, uh, I remember. Yeah. And you signed the book, the, the uh, one of your latest books, uh, from, I think two years ago, the bitter roots. I thought it was, uh, it was so cool to meet somebody that I've been following and, and reading your books since I was about, I don't know, I think it was about 14 or 15 and we talked about that that day, but I, it's uh, it's an honor for you to take the time to be on the show. Thank you. Sure. Works out great. Um, good time of year to do this. It's uh, winter here in Wyoming and uh, not a lot going on. Have you at least been having some reasonable weather lately, though? Uh, it's been pretty cold. We've got a lot, we live uh, on a little ranch and we've got a lot of we've had snow on the ground since November, which is unusual for here. Usually it melts away and then snows again. Um, so it's been cold. It's, but, uh, you know, I kind of like it. Um, it's kind of a resorty area that I live in. So the summer's pretty busy with things. So it's, it's good to have time off. And so we were talking before and you, uh, you actually mentioned you're ahead of the game on your, on your latest work. That probably doesn't happen very often when, with the travel schedule you would usually have. It has actually never happened before. I've I've never missed a deadline for a book, but there they I've been on such a pace over the last basically twenty years um, of pace has kind of worked out to about a book and a half a year, and that's a lot. I mean, it's just me. I don't have an army of researchers or anything like that. It's just me going at it. So, yeah, having not traveling because of the pandemic primarily. Um, gave me a lot more time um, in front of the desk, in front of the keyboard, and I'm uh, way ahead of the game when it comes to my deadlines and new projects. So, is that you said you're in your office? Is this where you do your writing, like right where we're seeing you from today? Yep, yep. It's it's on top of a barn. Uh, when we built the barn, we built an office on top. So every day I come out and walk through the corral and climb up the stairs, and um, it's pretty cool. It's it's uh, it feels like an office away from the home because it is and um, a pretty comfortable place. I guess something I've always wondered about with, with writing and stuff, because I've experienced it too, like is, is writing block like a, a big thing and like what kind of processes do you follow to overcome it if it is? Um, I can't say I've ever had it. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think it's, it's a, it's a mental thing that um, I've always heard about it too, but um <laughs> It's just, you know, I don't know what you do for your living, um, you know, besides podcasts, <laughs> but um, it, whatever it is, you know, uh, you can't really say, get, you know, you have a block that day, you just can't go to work. Um, you Fair just enough. go. And, and that's the way I, I treat writing. Uh, you know, I, the, my process is when I start out the book, um, I usually come up with one or two topics um, that I want to research. Um, if you've read them, you know that usually one of them is um, kind of a natural resource type issue. And then sometimes a, a law enforcement one or even high tech or something. 
but because uh, each book has different controversies and issues in it that are modern day and um, some kind of ripped from the headlines and things that um, affect people on the ground here in Wyoming and the Mountain West and this part of the world. So I, I research those things and then I start an outline and um, bullet by bullet kind of work my way through uh, the opening chapter all the way to the end by bullet point outlines using that research to kind of weave my way through it. And um, the way I look at it is, you know, how can I, how can I take topics like, let's say the last book, long, long range, long range rifle shooting and, um, you know, rogue bears in Yellowstone. How can I weave a story through those two things that I think are very interesting that I've researched. And then I just go to work every day and try to do minimum of a thousand words, which is wow. really isn't all that long. That's, you know, four pages. And, um, there are days when I don't feel like writing and I'm not, don't feel inspired at all, but because I've got my outline and I know where it's going, I can at least push it forward and then come back later, um, at a later time and, uh, fill that in a little bit or amend it or edit it. I do lots of editing. And then I, that's how I keep pushing forward. I've, I've never in 21 years um, of doing this, never sat around going, Oh my God, I can't, I don't have any ideas. <laughs> I, I can't do anything. So for, is the process for each book the same? Are you able to go like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and all the way to the end? Or do you bounce kind of back and forth from the beginning to the end and then back to a certain part? Or even on those days that you say you don't feel like writing or you don't have your best, do you have to go back on, on stuff you've already wrote and kind of when you're feeling I do. better about it? You... I generally, it's generally pretty linear from starting at the chapter one and pushing all the way to the end. But um, I change it up sometimes I need to. And you know, that's one of the great things with, you know, uh, the writing process and you having computers and uh, being able to just keep going back and filling in things that I might have forgotten the first time through or fix things um, early in the book that will, you know, come into play later in the book, that, that sort of thing. Um, I'm going through something right now with the book I'm writing, which won't even be out for two years, where I've got specific locations, specific cities that I want to include in this book. And um, I don't write about places unless I can go there. So I'm writing a book that's around all of these chapters that will be in these specific places because I can't visit them yet. <laughs> um, so I'll write the entire book and leave three big holes in it and go back and fill them in later. And it, are, is that the, another Cassie Duell book or is that a Joe Pickett book? It, it will be a Joe Pickett book. Uh, okay. two years from now and this gets confusing oh yeah fair <laughs> enough well my i talked to both my brother and my dad before we did this show because um I, I found your books from our li my school librarian like in the eighth or tenth grade or I, I don't even know when it was now i think i read winter Excellent. <laughs> and and uh i ended up start like i've been on you know i buy them every year and buy the hard covers i got a stack of them here i got in case i need them but he's a number one fan Number one fan, yeah. Top fan. He's a top fan. <laughs> top fan. But uh, um, you're, I asked them both about a couple of questions, and my brother mentioned, uh, um, he mentioned about he mentioned Dan Brown. He said if Dan if Dan Brown writes about a, a window in the bathroom of the Louvre, he goes there and he finds it and 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 sees this window. So it's an actual piece that is it's real. So it kind of blends the reality of what's fiction and what's real. And, and my brother was curious. He says, do you actually go scout on these 
scout out all these locations and, and go and see every Canyon and the, you know, the hole in the wall that Nate Romanowski hides out in, like, are these actual places? Most of them are, um, you know, most of them are actual. And uh, that doesn't mean I necessarily have to go. A lot of the places I've been to before, so I don't have to go there. But um, if I use the actual name of the location, like Yellowstone, Jackson Hole, Hole in the Wall, whatever I described is going to be as realistic as I can make it. Mm -hmm. I make up locations and, um, you know, physical attributes, you know, the town where Joe Pickett lives um, outside of Saddle Spring, Wyoming, isn't really a town. Um, it's a fictional place. And uh, that way I can, you know, give it attributes that a real town might not have or, um, you know, have different settings in it. But if I say, you know, Joe Pickett's going to Jackson Hole, I try to be as accurate as I can. Um, a couple of years ago, I set a book uh, called The Disappeared in a little town called Saratoga, Wyoming, which is where I live. And so every business, every place that's mentioned in the book is real, every street, because um, that's really important. I don't, I don't ever want to be accused of inauthenticity if I can avoid it. And rarely has that happened over the years. With, with the, uh, with the travel and going to see these places, have you found any other spots that you maybe didn't know of before? Are there any finds on, on travel? Like you, you've worked with the Wyoming travel and tourism, uh, the tourism board, is it, isn't it? Is that correct? That's right. I'm the chairman of the tourism board right now. Picked a great year for that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so you're, are there any places you've found in Wyoming that or or been to that you'd maybe like kind of recommend for other other folks to go to, or how does that kind of weave into things? Oh sure, I mean I'm a big I'm a big proponent of the of you know visitors in the state and the Mountain West and um, Rocky Mountains in general, um, and that's what I write about. So, but because Joe Pickett is a Wyoming game warden, I stick stick to Wyoming. But I, I've moved over the years, moved the books around to just about every corner of the state for something happening. And, um, you know, it's not all um, there, you know, they're not all chamber of commerce type descriptions about some of these places, but I think they're accurate. And um, I will continue to kind of move it around. And cause I, I think it's fun. Um, it's fun to write and it's fun to not only have, you know, avoiding what what's called in the mystery writing business, the Cabot Cove syndrome. I mean, how many murders can there be in a tiny little town year after year <laughs> after year? So it makes more sense to, you know, move the stories around. And plus it's fun to have Joe Pickett go to places he's not as familiar with and discover them along with the reader. Um, and, um, you know, in addition to Joe Pickett books, obviously I read other books, Cassie Duell books, um, uh, the highway and other standalones. And they're all set in specific places outside of Wyoming. I forget where the Badlands was, but it really reminded me of a little place called like, or it reminded me of thinking about Williston or, or a new town or somewhere over there. That's kind of what it was a fictional place, but it was, was basically Williston. It was basically Williston. <laughs> I didn't want to call it Williston. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I went there a, a few, what would it have been four years ago, five years ago, maybe. Just as the boom was really roaring really there, crazy, the yeah. oil boom, um, it was hard to even find a room to stay in. And I went, you know, went to North Dakota in January, which uh, oh. is not recommended. <laughs> um, but I learned so much that I, I never could have imagined um, 
by going there. And, and I was lucky enough that the sheriff at the time, he's since retired, but um, he had been the sheriff in Williston when it was tiny. And he was still the sheriff now that it was booming. Mm -hmm. So he had a great perspective on the area. And plus, he was a fan. He was a reader. Really? So um, he, he took drove me around. We went to the man camps. We went um, to some of the little red light areas. We went uh, to the train station where workers would get off every day and have a job by that night. And wow. it was just it, unbelievable education about that area and um, the fracking boom going on in North Dakota. And I was able to use that in the book, I hope, in a pretty interesting way. I, I thought it was interesting. It was especially I think that I was in Williston maybe a year before the Badlands came out. We I remember doing a few bull ridings in that area between Newtown and Williston. And then there was I think there was one over in like Sydney, Montana or something. But I ended up being over in that area and reading the book not long after. And I was like, holy smokes, this is exactly what it was because it was <laughs> it was chaos. Like going through Newtown, there was one stoplight and every building in town was covered in mud because the big trucks from the oil field were going through. And it, it was just a disaster. Like it was obscene how, <laughs> what, what the place looked like from the, from the boom. It was totally wild. Yep. And, and, and that's, it was a fun thing to write about because um, at the time, even now, you know, there aren't a lot of books set in places like North Dakota and there are a few more in Wyoming now. Um, few in Montana, you know, uh, you know, you guys um, in Canada, th there are books set in Western Canada, but um, they tend to not necessarily, I don't know, I'm going to say bad things. So I, I think a lot of times the books that are set in the West, um, whether it's US or Canada, are written by people who just visited or okay. think they know it. Um, and often when people who live here read those books, they might be great, you know, really well written, but you can tell they're not written from this, the uh, point of view of an insider. Um, you know, every, everybody's kind of rural and a lot not real bright and everybody speaks in a southern accent, which none of us do. Mm -hmm. um, so I always want to try to avoid those traps. You know, it's for the same reason I would not set a book in Manhattan or Boston is I know that I would be revealed as somebody who doesn't know the area well enough <laughs> to write about it. Um, didn't stop some people, but it does, it does concern me. My, uh, my dad had the question of how long you're, you plan to write for there. You've already, you're already 28 books in and you're, you, you know, I don't know if I, if I, I don't want to offend, any, offend you, but you're 62 years old. The guy that I, I'm taking over for, he's 65. So how much, how much longer do you intend to write? When are you, when, how many more, uh, Joe Pickett and Cassie dual books can we expect? I have no idea. Don't know. Um, I'm just going to, I'm, I don't have a strategic plan. I don't, I never sat down and figured out an arc where, okay, this will be the last one I do. Um, I enjoy it too much. You know, uh, it's pretty good job, you know, <laughs> a few hours a day and, you know, uh, don't have to show up at any particular time. Um, I really get, I really enjoy it, especially the first drafts of every novel. And I'd drive my wife out of her mind if I was just sitting around the house. So um, I, I'm going to, I like traveling. I like doing the research. I'm going to keep doing it as long as I feel like the books are fresh and different and not a formula. Um, I'm a big reader and a fan of series and I read a lot. And I think you can sense when a writer's getting tired or bored. And I hope that 
I hope that if I ever have a produce a book like that, I'll recognize it or somebody close to me will recognize it. And then I can call it a day, but that's a ways off. Who do, who do you read? I read really widely. Um, try to read like fiction, nonfiction, fiction, nonfiction. And about every fourth one of the fiction books tends to be mystery, crime, the thriller type book. But um, I don't want to just, just read in one genre and one type because um, I, I learn stuff from, from all kinds. But as far as, um, I mean, my favorite author, uh, living author is uh, Thomas McGuane, um, who's kind of considered a literary novelist out of Montana. Um, I've been reading him since I was in college and he's still at it and he's still writing stories, but I'm a big fan of like Cormac McCarthy. Um, nice. Uh, in the, you know, in the more mystery kind of crime genre, uh, Michael Connolly, somebody I, I don't miss any of his books, John Sanford, um, Denise Mina. I've just read the whole series uh, um, set in the Northern Ireland by Adrian McKinty. Um, so I, I try to read a lot. And I also get just, you know, you probably see a lot of books that have quotes on them, blurbs on them, new novels, you know, check this one out. I get a lot of first novels with requests to read them and offer a, a quote. And some of them are horrible. Um, but the ones that are really good, I love to provide a good quote for them and hope that it'll help launch their career. So I read a lot of first novels, a lot more than I would if I was just picking them out of the, out of the shelves. What do you, what do you do when it's bad? Do you like let the person down easy or do you like offer them like advice or how does that go? I, when I first started, um, you know, it was, you know, such an honor and weird thing to be asked to provide a quote for a book. And, um, because it, sure, it certainly helped me with my first book. I had some great quotes, like from Tony Hillerman and others who really seemed to really like that, that book. And I know that um, a lot of people who bought it said, well, I read Tony Hillerman likes it. I'll give it a shot. So I know they mean something. They're valuable. But um, every once in a while, I'd read a book that I thought was just awful. <laughs> and so I didn't want to just say it's awful. Um and so I'd say, I'd write something like, this is a writer to watch. So you can take oh, that nice. however yeah. you want. <laughs> like, uh oh, he's got another book. Avoid him. But um, now I don't do that. Now, if it doesn't appeal to me, um, and I know that my readers would not like it, I just kind of gently say, it's, it's books not for me. And um, thanks for the opportunity, but somebody else will probably love it. Wasted, did you want to get into some Yeah, I wanted to ask, uh, kind of go back to the process part of things. You mentioned how you didn't want to like fall into like a general like framework for your stories. Like, so how do you avoid like being redundant and and keeping it fresh with, especially like with a recurring character like Joe Pickett with so many novels based around him? Like you mentioned how different areas and stuff, but again, you could get end up being redundant if you're in different areas. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think there's two ways, at least. Um, Two, two reasons. One is that um, each book, like I mentioned earlier, has one or two big issues or controversies or um, uh, news items that, that, you know, set it apart from just a standard kind of like police procedural or murder mystery. Um, you know, so the books are about things other than um, the crime part. 
or the natural resource part or the game warden part. That's one. And the other is that um, all my books take place in real time, meaning um, the characters get older with each book. Um, in Joe Pickett's case, he's got three daughters. Uh, the oldest one was seven years old in the very first book and, and um, open season. And, and some of the book was told from her point of view. And now in the one I'm writing right now, she's um, four years out of college and working for Nate Romanowski in his uh, raptor bird business. So because the characters keep growing and getting older and taking on their own personalities, I think it changes things up. There are some, you know, we've probably all read books where it seems like the protagonist never ages and is always able to just beat up whoever he comes across. And uh, I don't, I think you have to suspend disbelief so much for these kind of series that that just makes it almost too much, at least for me. So by aging the characters and having them face different things in every book, different issue, real life issues, as well as um, the controversies or issues, I think it make it differentiates enough about them. Uh, do you ever find yourself in like a writing zone? Like do you ever just sit down and you can just write for 12 hours straight and hammer out like a full or three chapters of a book or have that, has that ever happened? Uh, I've never written for 12 hours straight, but I've definitely gotten, <laughs> gotten in the zone before where um, I start and then I look up and it's five hours later. And um, yeah, I mentioned earlier that I try to do like a minimum of a thousand words a day. I've had days where I've gone four or five, 6,000 words wow. without intending to or planning on it. But it's just, it's usually toward the end of the book when things mm -hmm. are getting really exciting. Juicy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, there are, there are times when um, I've totally lost track of time and space forgotten to eat um that doesn't happen a lot but it does happen uh my another question my brother had was uh about nate where like where did you come up with this guy were there any real influences or real are there i know there's there's some names you use different times like chuck coon is one who i remember meeting at the nfr before that's right <laughs> but uh but like where where does nate come from he, he can't be a real guy now you probably get this lots of the times but i mean I'm, he's such an interesting per, part of the books yeah, he, Nate is Nate, Nate Romanowski is a, a kind of outlaw falconer um, with a special forces background whose whose passion is falconry, and um, he he's actually one of the few characters actually based on a real person in my no book. Um, yeah, Nate's based on a friend of mine that I grew up with in high school in Wyoming. He was a year ahead of me in high school in Casper, Wyoming. He was big guy, blonde guy. Um, middle linebacker on the football team, tough guy, um, and then went off to the uh, Air Force Academy and then into Special Forces. And I used to go um, falconry hunting with him. Uh, so when you're, when you're doing falconry hunting, the bird is doing all the hunting. You are the bird doll. So um, <laughs> you, the bird goes up in the air and you go out and walk around to the sagebrush or whatever and um, might spook a rabbit that you don't even see. And all of a sudden the falcon comes screaming out of the sky and kills it. Um, same thing with ducks and other animals. So I learned all about the falconry um, from this friend of mine. And um, he's still around, still lives in Wyoming. Uh, he's got, had gone through a whole series of birds over, over his lifetime. And falconers just see the world differently than 
normal people. Um, I think it's because they have to devote so much time and energy uh, into that bird. Um, you can't just take them out on weekends, that kind of thing. You have to, your life has to revolve around the falcon or the, and some, some falconers have three, four, you know, five birds that they're constantly sending up and flying. Um, I say in the books, which is true, that the strange, one of the strange things about falconry is that bird can fly away at any time, but never come back. You can't reel them in. Um, so you have to, falconers have to establish kind of a special weird bond with their birds that they want to always come back, but at the same time, they're not domesticated. Uh, so I, I just found that fascinating. Um, you know, the way they just view life and death and, um, is another thing. I mean, I remember my friend who's based on Nate used to, we, I used to go out with him while he would uh, sneak up on top of buildings and capture pigeons to feed to, you know, his birds. One time the cops thought we were breaking into a uh, jewelry <laughs> store and I actually got thrown against the wall and a gun pressed against my Jesus. head. Oh. You know, and we had to explain, no, we're trying to get pigeons to feed to falcons which they wow. thought was a lot sounds made up <laughs> and um Jeez. so you do different things as part of it um it's a little bit outlaw e um because sometimes to get things that they eat you have to sometimes stretch laws and regulations <laughs> but Jeez. um i think that's why that's their mindset so how how much of the time i gotta i want to ask about two things how much of your time is spent researching on the road compared to the writing like is it a is it a 50 50 is it half research and uh but then i gotta ask too how much how much time do you spend with with your friend based on nate this sounds like a cool guy to to be around i hope lots of research ends up being with him well it hasn't the last few years simply because he's really slowed down okay. and right now he doesn't have a bird but oh. um early on in the first few years i i would continue to go out on trips with him and pick up little you know the terminology and um, you know how and I would I went to him with him to a couple of falconry meetings a couple of times and saw other falconers and saw that they were all a little bit off, um, <laughs> but that kind of that's that's what they are. Um, but as as far as research goes, I would say less than ten percent of the time. It's always the research I do at the front part. Um, until I think I know the subject matter well enough that, that I can then write. But the writing is the time-consuming part of it. Re research is fun. You know, um, I've got to do all sorts of things over the years. It, almost anything that's in the books, I've I, at least done, I can't say every single thing, but, um, you know, the, the wilderness horseback trips into Yellowstone and uh, climbing uh, wind turbines and being in a forest fire and whitewater rafting, all those kind of things I did. Um, some of them I didn't do for the book. Some of them I just did and then incorporated later into a book. But I do try to, to have gone there and done that um, in order to describe it. I was going to kind of go back to kind of the uh, question I was thinking of with writing from different perspectives. You mentioned in the first Joe Pickett novel, you like some it was through the perspective of his daughter and then through him, like, does it make it more challenging for mm -hmm. you to be able to put into words through different lenses of people? It does. Um, how, like, yeah, how do you navigate, how do you navigate I, that? I, I just try to, um, one of the, I think one of the most important things in fiction writing that even some well-established writers screw up at times is um, point of view. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's different, and, and I, you know, I never went to a creative writing class and learned about all these things. I just, I just read books and, mm-hmm. but um, you know, there's the omniscient point of view where the writer is telling you what everybody is thinking all the time and what is taking place. Or there's a point of view, third person, where every chapter is told from the perspective of somebody in it. So you're experiencing it through their eyes. Um, sometimes that's kind of unreliable, but I think it, it, it helps readers um, get to like and know characters more to be in their heads and to simply be told what they're doing what they're wearing, you know, that kind of thing. So I do a lot of different points of view in my books, but try not to do it in a way that the reader goes, Oh man, I've been, I'm being jerked here and there by these people. Um, So yeah, I do uh, books from, you know, with points of view from children, from women, from bad guys, um, kind of what they're thinking and why they're thinking it. And then, and then that's how I, tell a story. I've only done one book from first person, meaning using the word I as the character. And I, it, it worked. Um, it was called three weeks to say goodbye. It was really creepy, but um, I didn't like how it felt later to in fact become the character in the book. Some people like that. I didn't. I, I think we got to, we've got to get into some of the, uh, we got to get into some big sky talk. And then we got to talk about the new show with, uh, with Joe Pickett. But I, I got something that I'm curious about here now. What, what did you do before you were a full-time writer? I know, I know part of your time uh, while you've been writing is on the Cheyenne Frontier Days Committee. You were part of the committee at one point. But what, right. what was your work before full, being a full-time writer? Well, I had a bunch of jobs, um, you know, over the years. I worked on ranches. I was, uh, worked on an exploration survey crew for energy companies in Wyoming, um, uh, I was, I managed a ch- small chamber of commerce okay. um, in a little, little town. Um, then I, I went to the work for the state of Wyoming in tourism development and then started my own company. And for 24 years, we had that, my wife and I, um, where we promoted uh, the Rocky Mountain West to uh, Europeans and um, Asians and Australians and Scandinavians we weren't tour operators. We actually worked for the tourism boards, the state okay. tourism boards. So um, I travel a lot internationally. And the one thing that's really turned out to be valuable is that part of that job was um, escorting tour operators, travel agents, journalists all over the Rocky Mountain West, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, South Dakota, North Dakota. Um, so I, I kind of got to see this part of the country through the eyes of people who weren't from here. And that has, that has really helped me narrow down what a unique area it is. Um, so I had that tourism background. Um, and part of the, part of the thing with, with that too, is that meant I would take everybody, like take a bunch of journalists, ski journalists from Europe to every ski resort in the Rocky mountains oh, in, right in, in the U S and that was a pretty fun job. Oh yeah. Um, or, you know, dude ranches or adventure vacations so that they could write about it and I could experience it. So that, uh, you know, I did 20 years of, of that kind of activity uh, before the books really took off. Okay. Well, I, that really adds yeah. up now. It makes sense. makes a lot of sense on, on how you know it so well. The average. It's per- just, and it's just like the, 
you know, there have been some rodeo aspects in the books, as you know. Yeah. And I use a lot of rode- real rodeo cowboy names Morton as Sing. characters in the books. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, yeah, because whenever I need Eat a name, in. if I don't yeah. have one, I, I go to the PRCA media handbook and grab a yeah. name. Um, <laughs> I, I, I joke, you know. Because some people have said, you know, don't don't these cowboys get mad when they, you know, their names are in there as bad guys? And I said, you know, how many rodeo cowboys read books? Come on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I bought this, but one. I have learned. I them on two hand. Yeah, <laughs> a few, a few do, a few do, and I've met a few that say, yeah, I saw my name in that thing. I was wondering what you were thinking, kind of stuff. <laughs> but most of them that see their name pretty much enjoy it. And oh, I yeah. never use their first and last name. I use one guy's first name and another guy's last name. Yeah. But as you know, you can't beat the names that are in pro rodeo. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> they're, they're the, the funniest names ever. And, you know, when I name a character rope or spud, um, people <laughs> think I'm just really, really creative. But all I did was go, you know, read the handbook. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering when you, when you steal a PBR name for, for a dirt eater, when you're going to have a dirt eater in your book. For, for <laughs> he'll be in there. I'll, I'll note that right now. I'll write that <laughs> down for the next one. Have you uh, have you ever faced any backlash for like a situation, like a person or a situation in a book being like too real or like too specific? Not too real or specific, because I I never try to write a character based on a real person by name ever. I usually put the names in after the book is done, because I, I always need names. Um, the only backlash I've ever received, I'm not going to name names, um, was for a character who turned out to be the bad Montana State Trooper in uh, in the book The Highway and now Big Sky, who turns out to be quite a deviant. And his daughter didn't like it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, you know, I don't blame her. Yeah. But in order to get in, I give I give away a lot of names in a book for charitable auctions and causes um the person who wins it has to fill out a little form that says you know release me from any liability and they have no editorial control over how their name is used and the this woman who was so mad at me did fill out the form and said she um you know conformed to all of the (laughs) tenants in it but she did she didn't like how the name was portrayed even though it had nothing to do with the real person we we uh we got to talk about Big Sky and it's been a huge hit so far. Has it totally exceeded ex- exceeded your expectations to this point, or what, what were your what are your thoughts getting into it so far? I, it kind of has, yeah. Um, you know, the, the David E. Kelly, who does you know the executive producer, and he you know he's done big little he's done a million shows. I think he's oh, yeah. done fourteen or fifteen different TV shows, and and he takes a real hands on approach. He doesn't just get the material and he, he wrote every script for the first 10 episodes um, based on, and, and then optioned each one of those books. And I've been working with him now for five years to get this thing. Um, you know, he, he would, he, he had it at a different network originally and then at a streaming service and for different, this is how Hollywood works for whatever reason, a new executive comes in, they don't like what the old one finally, when it landed at ABC and they did what they called a, um what oh what's it called it's not the pilot, a series order oh okay yeah not a, no they, they didn't even order a pilot they just said we want 10 episodes boom oh, wow 
And um, that's very unusual. It's called straight to series order. Very unusual. And um, it all happened really pretty fast once I decided to do it. And uh, so, yeah, I've been, I've been surprised. It's uh, I had a zoom call like this with David Kelly and um, a couple other producers a few weeks ago. And they said, uh, ABC said it's the, you know, the highest rated new drama they've had in years and years and years. And so it, and I saw the other day that um, the rating or the, because there's so many ways to watch television these days, not just when live, when it's on um, that 47 and a half million people have watched it, which is huge for numbers for these days with so many shows available. So yes, I'm surprised how well it has gone, especially because the material's really dark and um, you know, it's not a happy subject, but I think they do it well enough and there's enough suspense and um at the rate they're going, they're going to burn through all of my books in this series in the first year. <laughs> Pretty quick, yeah. And maybe a year and a half. And then I don't know what. But um, at least at all this point, they're all based on, the, it's all going to be based on the Cassie Duel books. What, what's the next one? Is it, is it Badlands or is it, uh, is it the, is it, I'm, for, I'm forgetting the names of everything right now, but I had them right beside me. But what's the next one? For this- the, I, I, I asked it, it, it will be the Bitterroots. The most recent Cassie Duel book okay. will be kind of the where the, the series goes from here. I was thinking it could be Paradise Valley too. We're probably not going to go back to I hope so. Further back. But actually they're 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 not going to take them in chronological order. Okay. Um, just like the highway was kind of in effect the second of the you know, Cody Hoyt, Cassie Duel books. They started with that one. Then they're going to go to Bitterroots and then they're going to go to the other books, not necessarily in order. Okay. Which is fine. At least they're sticking to the source material. Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, I read something the other day that mentioned that you're not on location because uh, because it's in Vancouver. They're filming Big Sky in Vancouver. But what is the, uh, right. what is your, what is your uh, involvement now with the show? It's not, I, I don't have a lot of, I don't have no day-to-day involvement. Um, yeah. I don't really want to. Uh, I, I, you know, one of the people I, I, I really admire in the mystery writing community, I mentioned Michael Connolly. Um, I've talked to him. He's had the, you know, the show Bosch that's been on Amazon for a few years and been involved with, with movies and other TV shows. And um, his advice to me was, you know, your greatest contribution is providing the source material. After that, it's not, nothing is up to you. And that's true. And I knew that going in. I mean, it's kind of the difference. I'm a fisherman. And I, it, it's kind of the difference between, um, you know, rowing my little drift boat down the river and fly fishing and being on a huge cruise ship with everybody with their own opinions. And that's what the set of a TV show is like, where, you um, you can't get too hung up that every line isn't from the book or that every character doesn't look or act exactly like you envision them. That's just not going to happen. It's too collaborative. Um, It's a different medium entirely. Um, You know, I'm getting all the emails and notes from people going, Oh man, they ruined your book because so and such and such didn't happen like it did in the book. I'm just grateful that most of it is fairly accurate to the books and that the spirit is right. And I know that there's going to be changes made. It's just, you know, it has to be, you cannot film a novel. You have to abridge it. And we, and everyone's 
everyone's thoughts or imagination creates a different picture that they expect as compared to what it ends up being. That's right. That's right. That was one of the, the weird things with the book, The Highway, which is Big Sky so far has been based on, is that there are, there are a lot of readers, I shouldn't say a lot, but a number of readers who couldn't finish that book and they because they thought it was the, the uh, subject matter was too disturbing. And they'd say that the graphic violence in it um, was just, you know, stomach turning and they couldn't get through it. And I would always say, show me the page where you read the graphic violence. Yeah. Because it isn't there. It's all in your head. Um, and it is there. There's nothing overt. There's no descriptions of violence in the book. There's references to um, what might have happened, but there's no descriptions, but in their minds, it was graphic and they couldn't continue. What, what about the fallout or the backlash from the, the uh, different organizations involved with missing one of the, one of the issues with the first few episodes was the lack of acknowledgement, I think on, on the missing indigenous, missing, missing women in the, that are, is what this part of the subject matter of the highway and big sky is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, missing indigenous women, girls in Montana, which is a real issue. I mean, that's a real thing. The numbers are there. And, um, but that's not what the book was about. Um, the book was about an anomaly that happened on the highway, not um, every single group that might've been affected. And um, they've kind of addressed that in the, in the show. They, the producers have, they've sort of written it in. Um, it's a legitimate issue, but it wasn't the issue in the book. So I can kind of say, not my fault. Um, yeah. I wrote a book called Blood Trail that um, is about that subject exactly um, early on and kind of loose. I don't know if you saw the movie Wind River. Uh, that's a great um, movie. It's outstanding. Yeah. Well, if you read the book Blood Trail, you'll know where the idea came from. Let me put it that way. Um, so I've dealt with that issue before. Um, and you can't in any book or I can't imagine or any really TV series um, make every single interest group happy and recognized as they should, they want to be. That's yeah. It's impossible to do that. Yep. We, uh, you mentioned just the other day that, the Joe Pickett series has been optioned. Is that, is that what it is? Or did they go straight to the, did they buy the 10 episodes already or what, what's the story there? I don't know all the, all the info yet or what you can tell us. I can't tell you everything because yeah. <laughs> I've pledged to the producers uh, to hold off on that until they are ready to make a big announcement, which okay. could be as early as this week. Oh, wow. Um, what, what we do know is that there was a story in the Calgary Herald um, that, uh, production offices have been opened in Calgary for a Joe Pickett series. That's as much as I can confirm. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty excited about it. They, they want to be able to make an announcement when they have actors in place and um, more information that they can, they can put out there. Uh, there's so much PR and entertainment I've found out um, and they don't like people stepping on it, but uh, who, whoever the reporter was for the Calgary Herald already, you know, um, kind of let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. So who would you ideally have as Joe Pickett? Who, who would be the actor to play Joe Pickett? Oh, 
Good question. I never, I've been asked that a million times <laughs> and I've never had an actor in mind ever. Um, every once in a while, I'll see somebody in something else and go, Hey, you know, that could be, that guy could be a good Joe Pickett. But honestly, I never think of him other than a Wyoming game warden. I don't think of him as a movie star. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of hoping I haven't been involved in the casting. Don't want to be, but I did express to the producers that I would rather have an unknown actor who was, had Joe pick was Joe Pickett than a well-known actor who was a big star. Mm. Um, And I don't know if that's the direction they're going to go. We'll see. I've, I've got to say that ever since I saw your picture, in the in the in your books that i've always thought that you were joe, joe pickett in my mind you i'm you too, are joe pickett. That's, I'm too that's, old that's look, the unknown actor white hair just <laughs> <laughs> use a little bit of just for men you're fine yeah. <laughs> no um no i i've met game wardens several game wardens who i thought this is joe pickett right here right in front of me yeah um but actors uh who knows who knows? We we better talk about Dark Sky. It's coming out on on March second. Wherever wherever you get your books, what, what can we what can we say about about the new book? It's the it's the twenty first Joe Pickett book now, isn't it? Sure. Yes, it is. It's um, in this book, Joe Pickett is asked by the governor of Wyoming, who he does not get along with, to elk guide an elk hunting trip for um, a high tech. Mo- billionaire mogul wow. um, into the Ma- Bighorn Mountains in Wyoming because this mogul wants to um, experience every kind of thing there is in the world and he's never done anything like going on a wilderness hunting trip and uh, the governor wants Joe to do it because he wants this company to establish a gigantic server farm in Wyoming and bring economic development but as soon as Joe Pickett gets into the mountains with this guy um, and his entourage, uh, he realizes that um, they're being hunted um, themselves. And mm. with it, within not too many pages, uh, Joe Pickett is up there without weapons or transportation, horses, communication. Um, basically, it's a wilderness survival story of, of he and the high-tech mogul versus some people who are after him. Oh, so with that, this new book, I wanted to really strip things down to the studs. Um, doesn't really include the family much. Uh, isn't really a police procedural of any kind. It's basically a wilderness survival story with um, a lot of violence in it. Wow. So I'm, I'm excited for the book because it's, it's different. And um, those that have read it, most people have not been able to put it down um, at all till they get to the end that that's how i am with almost all of your books unless i have to do something else it's kind of a started on on a friday night and wake up and you know it, i barely get I, I don't get to sleep i just read the book and then then i get to go to sleep it doesn't matter what's going on good there i love to hear that through. the uh wacy uh there's one question we got to ask we better get to that before we before we're done here i have one more question one. in regards to uh you mentioned yeah. like the, the violent parts of your novels you ever writing one of those sections and you're like whoa this is like some heavy stuff <laughs> i do uh, yeah yeah um i do that it, it, it's really weird personally i'm really squeamish when it comes to blood 
Mm-hmm. Um, my wife recently had knee surgery and I, I fainted when I saw it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I mean, I, 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 I fell against the wall, you know, I can write that stuff. And what I try, you know, what I really try to do is, is do violence accurately and it's, it's messy and it's awful. And because I'm a hunter, I know what it's like, you know, what gunshots do and um, how animals can suffer. And so I try to put those, put that in the books in an accurate way instead of a romantic way. Um, Cause I think sometimes that it's so awful that um, I hope it drives home how bad these things can be. You know, Nate Romanowski carries a handgun, a real, it's a real one um, called the 454 Kasul, which for a few years was known as the most powerful handgun in the world. And um, the damage that 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 round can do is incredible. And I've seen it because I've been to the the factory in Wyoming and shot it. Um, I mean, it can, it can literally kill a car um, by the round going through the engine block and, um, you know, it, it's, it's really lethal. And I try to describe what it can do. You, you mentioned getting uh, like being with your friend who Nate is based off of, and you guys got held up and by gunpoint. Is that, is that the craziest story from, from when you were on a, on a research adventure? Is that the, the most scared you were when <laughs> on one of those research? Trips? Well, that, yeah, that I wasn't really doing research. I didn't even hadn't even started writing at the point at that point, oh, wow. but that was something that um, I could draw back on. Um, yeah. He, he hung out with some um, really dicey characters for a while, <laughs> other falconers and um you know, they used to, they used to live in a little spot in Wyoming where, um, you know, their income came from all sorts of illicit enterprises oh, that wow. they were involved in. And they justified it because, you know, they were falconers. They couldn't, you know, ha- they didn't have to go to work. Um, but I got involved with some things with them that um, I don't know if the statute of limitations is over yet on. So I'm not going to talk about, but um, <laughs> learned a lot. Well, you see, I'll let you. Is this the, well, okay. I w- sorry, one more question. Yeah, go ahead. You're good. Is that is that area like of like the I think it's the northwest, like the border of the Yellowstone? Is that like where they say like murder is legal? Is that a real thing? <laughs> it's, it's actually, one of the books. Um, yeah, it's in one of the books. Well, it gets it's, funny because uh, it popped up because I've like just gotten to Yellowstone and that's like part of it. And then I saw like a TikTok video about it and just I was, he's curious to know because you know the area so well. It's actually um, in the extreme south east part of Yellowstone Park okay where um if you if you can vision the park 95 percent of Yellowstone Park is in Wyoming mm-hmm. um three percent is in Montana on the north and two percent or a little less is on Idaho is in Idaho on the east the part where you could conceivably get away with murder is that little Idaho section wow because cool. there are no residents so because of all these weird legal things in the U.S. Constitution you couldn't, you have to draw a jury from the state and district where the crime is committed. And there are zero residents there. So there's the, the theory is if something happened there organically, um, you couldn't have a jury trial. Wow. Interesting. And there's, there's not even any roads there. As far as I can tell, there is one road. There is a road. Is it the one that goes there's from a road that goes, Big Springs? Oh. It goes from, Rexburg to the place in Yellowstone called Beckler River Ranger Station. And then it stops. It doesn't connect with anything. So if you go in that part of Yellowstone Park, the only way to get out is to backtrack. 
wow. and go around the park. Um, you can't go through it to anywhere. Rexburg. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's <laughs> interesting stuff. It's cool that, that that's like, that's a thing in this day and age. It's quite hard to like, even think like to think about it. Um, but yeah, it looks like we're, we're getting short on time here. So we don't keep any longer and we'll finish off with one question. We ask all our guests and what is your definition of cowboy shit? Oh, the hard hitting questions. <laughs> it is. It's one I haven't given any thought to. Um, uh, I guess it's kind of like what I would say, you know, things are about to get Western. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it even happens in the West. It just means, um, the situation is spinning out of control <laughs> and, um, fists are going to fly and bottles are going to break. I guess I would, I would, um, define it as that. <laughs> I like it. I like it. We, uh, we didn't talk about Cheyenne. I gotta, I gotta touch on that really quick. What, what was your involvement on, on frontier days when you were a part of it? I was a volunteer when we, we, we don't live there anymore, but um, when I lived there, I was a volunteer for about 20 years. Um, and the first four years I was on the contestants committee, which meant I, I ran shoot number two okay. um, in the arena, which uh, it was a great job and pretty interesting. Um, but then I went from there and uh, was on uh, the uh, PR committee for a lot of years, and then eventually on the board of directors. I wasn't on the general committee, the people who put on the rodeo. I was on the um, board of directors, which is separate from that yeah. for, I think, eight years, eight years okay. or so. And I really loved it, and I still love it. And once you're a volunteer for, for, for Frontier Days, you're always a volunteer, mm -hmm. and you're always welcome back, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun would be it's i think it's a kind of a similar structure to calgary and and when so when you have your uh joe pickett series being filmed around calgary you'll have to look us up and come to that stampede finally if we get to have it here one of these days i my 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 horrible confession to make is that i have never been to the calgary stampede and um i am definitely going to come visit the set of this show that we can't announce um sometime <laughs> this summer outstanding well uh when you get up here we'll look us up we'll uh we'll show you around show you calgary we'll do i'd like it i'd like to it's always fun to go around with somebody who knows the area oh yeah yeah we know a bit of it now so sounds like a plan well we sure appreciate your time today this here, great. Uh, mr box this was awesome i appreciate your time thanks for thanks for doing this with us thank you it was fun good question well thanks again our guest today has been mr cj box Coming to us from his home in Saratoga, Wyoming. Remember, you can get Big Sky wherever books are sold starting March 2nd, 2021. Thanks again. Thank you. Well, this is Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. I'm Ted. He's Wacy. This is episode 85. We just talked to author CJ Box and had a really fun chat. Eh, Wacy? What did you? That's cool to talk to to a guy who writes books. I think that'd be a really hard <laughs> profession. <laughs> I hate writing, so. Um, yeah, it was it was neat, man. It was cool. Like I, I haven't really read any of his books, but it, it was cool to hear like how his process works and where he draws inspiration from and stuff. And it's cool to see that he actually has like the big sky, like the big sky TV show is kind of a cool thing. Yeah. So just wrapped up for... the first season the other day, but if you haven't seen it, check it out uh, 
on any major, any of the major networks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good show. You can check it out. Um, and Wacy, you're talking, speaking of TV, you had a question that we were. Oh, speak of. oh yeah. Was so before, s- hold on. Before we oh, that though, oh, again, oh. Uh, Dark Sky is in your local bookstores March 2nd. Check it out. CJ's latest book, latest, latest Joe Pickett novel. novel. Uh, check it out. Yeah, March 2nd. But ways to get back to your question, what do you, you have? <laughs> um, so we were talking about a bit of off camera, but what game show or shows do you think you would do the best on? I think it's a fun, fun thing to think about. The only one I've ever thought about applying for, um, <laughs> I, get, there, I just had another thought too, but the only one I ever thought of applying for, you mentioned it before too, was, uh, was the Amazing Race. Mm-hmm. And actually funny story, but we have a former Amazing Race contestant coming up on the next show. Cord McCoy. We can really see how well we would do on the show through the questions we're about to ask him. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get some stuff going on that, but I guess Mm. I I just realized this too. So the amazing race would be, would be one that I think I could actually do well at, but then I just realized that I, I thought about doing one of those home shows. Like, I know it's not a game show, but like applying to have you like house fixed up. It's not a game show. Oh, like, but it's uh, like a show. <laughs> Extreme home makeover. <laughs> yeah. Something like that where you fix your house up. Move that bus. But that's not, we're like, we don't need that. Homes like, on homes. Yeah. We don't need the, like, need a free house. I'm just saying like. <laughs> you need like, homes the thing on where, need Mike we, homes. Yeah. We just like fix the old, the old HQ up a little bit. That's but then I also, I also remember the story about Devin Maisie being on a wipeout. Man, I Brock put it on that. his Snapchat story the other day. Oh, really? Like, Brock, it was when, so funny. When Devin was out. Uh, yeah, Brock Radford, he like I was watching his Snapchat or he had posted on a Snapchat story the other day and it had it was Devin's clip from him on on uh on Wipeout. On Wipeout, yeah, it was oh, funny. Yeah. yeah. That was some funny shit. Man, Devin that would be a like, hard I think Wipeout would be the hard one of the hardest ones. He had to go to like Argentina or some crazy shit to film that. That'd be cool. We'll have to get him, we'll have to get him on the show once sometime to Talk bullshit about, about that. was some fun. Devin's got some fun stories. Yeah. Are you know, uh, remember, you remember you? MXC most extreme yeah. inflammation yeah. challenge? Man, yeah. that show is so sick. But I, I could, I don't do think well I could now. do well at any of those ones. Really? I think I could. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Um, for me, I think Amazing Race I would do well on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's without me like having anything. And why? Okay, why? Why? Um, I'm really good with logistics when I'm traveling. Like I'm good at yeah. like um finding routes and getting to where I need to be, and I like being in that control like that. But so can I think you I would... do it in a foreign language? Yeah, I think you could. Yeah, it, it, it would be. You think like, I could, or you think you could? I think we both would be pretty good at it. Like we've, like yeah. I think any like rodeo person would do well on the Amazing Race. <laughs> As we saw with Cord, have to you, though. <laughs> you, you know what I mean though. That like it's one of those things where like we're that's kind of like rodeo in a sense where you're just on the move and like kind of in a hurry to get places and you got. I mean, it's a little bit different like going country to country, but I think that yeah. most rodeo people would do well. I yeah. also think I would like kill it at Family Feud and The Price Is Right. I watched enough prices right as a kid growing up that I could get to the daily showdown or whatever it is for yeah? sure. Okay. Yeah. What do you think you'd be bad at? Bad at? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Wipeout. <laughs> I think that's built for anybody to be bad. Yeah, it'd be bad. Um I I would be I'd like to think I'd Jeopardy. be good at I think I'd be I like I like to think I would be good at it, but I think I'd get toasted in it. At Jeopardy? Yeah. Because yeah. it's funny because like all the clips we see of Jeopardy and stuff are the ones where it's like which Canadian hockey player, this, that, and the other, and it's all Americans. So they never get them right. It's like, oh, I can yeah. get that question right easy. But I think that, yeah, Jeopardy, I, I would like to think I would do great at it, but I would not do well. There, uh, I, do- I actually golfed with a guy that was a contestant on Jeopardy last summer, and he talked about he actually played against Ken Jennings. So he was actually oh, wow. on the show and lost to Ken Jennings. But he told me, I'm not remember, I'm not remembering what his name is now, but 
he told me that all the people knew the answers to the questions because it was all like with Jeopardy, it's a, it's, it's a trivia game. And he said that all the questions are a certain amount of things. Like it's, it's world history, U S presidents, it's uh, geography, sports. a few sports stats, right? Like the big stuff in sports, I'm not going to do anything too no, no, big, right? Specific. And then there was like, there was one other, one other thing, probably like literature, right? There's a few different things where you, if you know all the basics of all these different things, you'll do well, then you, you're going to know the stuff and they show you what you're supposed to study and whatever. But he said that they all knew the answer to the question, but the trick with Jennings was that he had a, he had the trigger finger thing figured out to where everybody was. That's why you see them all mashing the buttons all mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. is because mm-hmm. they're trying to get in because they know the answer, but they only pick the guy that gets the first one. So there's like a countdown, like a light bulb and you have to mm-hmm. push the button at a certain time. And Jennings figured out how to mash that button. And that's why he did so good. Just According like to the guy, right? Well, According but there's the people who get questions wrong though. Like so they can't know all that's the answers. True. Yeah, but but the majority, right? They're yeah, just yeah. trying to get in because then they have a chance. So I just remember what show that. I would do the worst on. It's Fear Factor for sure. I would <laughs> oh be yeah, that would be bad. That'd be That'd tough, be man. Bad. I could do like the extreme stuff, like I could like muster up enough like to make it happen. But when mm-hmm. it comes to like the sitting in a tub of snakes or like eating a worm, like yeah, that's a no for me, dog. A hundred year old egg, or whatever. I think would you be. would do well on like like a Survivor or Alone. Like you should ever see the show Alone on the History Channel. It's worse than Survivor. It's worse than Survivor in the sense where it's like they plop you on Victoria Island and you're by yourself and you get it. There's a list of 10 things you get to bring with you. Naked and afraid. And you have to, yeah, you just have to, the last person alone and who can survive the longest in the woods gets like a million bucks. But Hmm. Survivor wouldn't be as bad because you're with people and it'd be kind of funny, but. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it would be like. Mm -hmm. When I was in Nicaragua one time, they, I went by one of the beaches where they had survivor mm-hmm. and it was literally just like around the corner from the place we were staying at <laughs> like this that was where, where the beach Not all was. It seems to be yeah it was kind of interesting yeah. like you know we always would have it uh I, we always think that it's in this some deserted place where they're all stuck somewhere but it was literally like on a beach in nicaragua like you could like walk to it like it was kind of secluded but like yeah. if you just were to like walk like 10 kilometers you could just like go walk to town and get a cheeseburger <laughs> so yeah, i sad. don't know and i don't know like they wouldn't have any money to be able to do that but if they're that close to civilization, yeah. Even if you like swim around a corner, or it's kind of not like, the same. Kind of loses some of the effect of it. Yeah. So I wonder how much yeah. of that is staged now, especially with how long it is. Oh, but for sure. How long they've been doing the show? But well, so we were talking. Uh, I was talking to my brother about like American Idol and how that's like all staged. A lot of it, like, it's just like they identify the people that are going to work for their like program to like keep people engaged, and those are the people who end up making it through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the Amazing Race, though. I know they've had a Canadian version too, and that, that a p- couple of people that we know have applied for, like Brett Manya applied for it. Uh, Steve Prankard from Future Productions, he applied for it too, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Manya actually got picked, but it was a year when he didn't think he could get away for the two months because it was like April and May. He was like, oh, I can't miss all And we rodeos. should apply. Cowboy shit team. Yeah, we could. Wow. I would do it. That'd be fun. We might kill um, each other along the way, but. Well, that's the thing that I wanted to mention is that I, I wonder what the, uh, I wonder what the hardest part of it is like is it getting along with your counterpart and being mm, with them no for i like think a lot of, i think a lot of that would, a lot of that would be like they would see like they would that's the content they put up because people like seeing that like tension oh, between okay. teammates i think but i think the hard the hardest part would be yeah i don't know what the hardest, uh, that's a good question for a cord <laughs> yeah right because he went with his brother and they're like yeah. they're like nicest guys ever so how do you yeah. not get along with with them right? well i mean like, it's one of those things like you're like 
say you and I were to do it, like I'm sure we'd butt heads here and there, but it wouldn't be to oh, the point yeah. where it's like we want to leave, kind of thing. Yeah, but. yeah, right. It'd be a matter of trying to be the most efficient to get her get around get it what we had to, yeah. you know, what we got to do. But yeah, um, yeah, we could apply for it. Let's check it out sometime. I'm just googling it right now. But anyways, probably shouldn't Amazing work on Canada. That. We're coming for you. But uh, I, yeah, like like the driving part's fine. I've driven on the other side of the road before, like on the I've driven on the other side i guess the left-hand side of the road for us in canada like australia i did that before i've been to like where, where else have you been in the world waste you've been to mexico uh, i haven't been i haven't right? been overseas you haven't been over the seas yet right so yeah you you might have a little bit of culture shock in the big centers like tokyo and bangkok mm-hmm. and i don't know i've never been to china but but being in southeast asia and thailand and 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 uh malaysia but like, and if you places, if you boil any place down it's the same like if you you can like if you think of it like logically like you just follow the signs of where you need to go and if you're aware of where you're driving i might be a bit crazier but the bear the bar bones of everywhere is pretty essentially the same the tough part of that and i don't know what the rules are with having a phone and having like google maps or something which would totally make it different now but the challenging part is is reading and understanding those signs in the different languages and understanding the characters on the mm-hmm. signs like to go see a russian sign and like moscow isn't written in english on a sign that says moscow mm-hmm. it'd be something in russian and i wouldn't understand how to read the signs where I don't know, like you haven't seen that. You've seen it in Mexico, but Spanish is pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, no, for English. sure. It'd be, it'd be tough in like the language, like where you don't like. I've never seen any of it. Like yeah, like that. That's the mm-hmm. thing is when like uh, like a uh, Tokyo, they have a train station there that I think my mom said three quarters of a million people go through it every day. And we actually lost my brother there when he was like fourteen. He just <laughs> went home, and we were all freaked out that he got abducted or like got lost or whatever. We didn't know, but he just went back to the hotel. But like to have to, to I, I don't know how to read Japanese. Right. So that, mm-hmm. that's the thing where that's why you have to use the people around you though. Cause a lot of people in those countries can speak English like they a, to, can, a minimum, but it, to a, to a small extent, but like I'm talking like in the, an amazing race format where you're in a hurry and stuff, you got to utilize like what's around, what's around you. It's challenging for sure. Yeah. And that's the, you and you watch the show that is like challenges they come up with. But yeah, if you utilize like the resources around you, yeah, you could, I think it helped like, Cause I, I, think I, don't think you, I, think, I don't think you get to use your phone. I don't think you get to. I think you're right. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you'd be, I think you'll be surprised when you do go overseas ways. You'll, you might have a culture shock. You might, I think you might be a little surprised about what things look like out there when you get, when you get over the, over the ocean, whether you go to Southeast Asia or if you go, I don't know, I haven't been to Africa yet either, but, but I think you'll be surprised on how much different it is compared to North America. So I, I'm looking forward to when you get to go. Cause I think you'll really enjoy it. But yes, bro. one more question, right? I had a story that I wanted to tell about the uh, about New Mexico. So we're talking about some crazy stories different times. And I, for, mm. I forgot about this one. There was already the one where I ran away from the cops and we got away, luckily. But the other one was uh, we were there was a time when we were all sit, we were all at school there. And, and I, I had this old car, this Monte Carlo. It was a pretty sweet car at the time. I you remember, remember that car of yours. Remember yeah. Carlos? Mm-hmm. Carlos, the car. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, uh, there was a big storm rolling in and we all thought we needed to like, like there were some people that had nicer vehicles than me. And I, like my car was used and it was kind of old or whatever, but we thought, uh, we all needed to move our cars out into the barn at the rodeo grounds. Cause it was, there was a big hail storm coming in. So we all like ran down from our dorms and whatnot. And I remember running across the parking lot thinking we're all in this big rush. Like, oh, I don't want to get hailed on. Like everybody was freaking <laughs> out. I'm like, I'm like, I don't really care, but I'll go drink beer with you guys in the, in the, um, 
in the in the barn at the at the grounds right at the practice arena so i like go darting across the parking lot and i just get plowed over by a car and but luckily <laughs> like i got hit literally like the car was coming and hit me on the right side and i just kind of like it caught me on the corner uh, on its like head, one headlight and it bowled me over and i kind of like bounced off the hood and on the ground and landed on my hands and had some like gravel in my palm of my hands but mm-hmm. i remember just getting up and like waving and like yeah okay bye i'm sorry, sorry. like i was just so embarrassed <laughs> like sorry kind of like the one the part from elf where he's just he's just uh he gets smoked by the car and it wasn't going very fast neither was no. this one they were in a parking lot right but like got enough where it took out took me out of the knees and i <laughs> fell down and buggered up my hands a little bit it's a good but, thing you went over and not under yeah, but I mean, they pretty much were stopped too. Like, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, if I would have went under, they would have would have been worse, right? That's where I just kind of uh, tuck and rolled and Dukes of Hazard. That's wild, man. Fell over the front of it, but um, I've never, I've never been in like a scenario like that where I've been hit no? by a vehicle. I've been run over by like cows and stuff a lot. So I've been sacrificed yeah. by my dad, but <laughs> I've never, never over the car. That's funny, man. I'm thankful that, that I was, all, that's all it was because that could have been bad, right? Like just not thinking. Oh, dude, yeah, and like, get totally. smoked by a bus and you're fucking dead. But so, now you can, yeah, you live to tell a tale and you can tell people you got hit by a car. Yeah. I can't believe I just remember about that story now. Stuff that we did in college. Just eh? so embarrassed. Like I wasn't even hurt. So did you go drink beer after cried. and tell oh, people you got hit yeah. by a car? Yeah. I was like, guys, I just got hit by a car. I'm like, what the fuck you retard? They're, <laughs> they're pissed about it. But anyways, um, I guess that's the end of the show. Wait, you got anything else? Can we share nice. down? No, man, I'm good. That's, that's good for me. That was a fun, uh, fun. Good one fun show oh you want did you mention the new merch that's coming oh Just man how did i forget that shit yeah new merch look yeah, i got new, that. Right here. The new merch um nice. cowboy shit in stores now the, the new spring 21 line we got some new hats you guys have seen us wear these for quite a while now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we got the gray this is the uh this is the wood mountain there's some spice gray and blue dropping oldest rodeo, rocking- oldest rodeo in canada the wood mountain stampede wacy's rocking the uh we're, we're calling that one the valley ridge slash happy valley used to be called Happy Valley. I don't know if we're supposed to use the Valley Ridge. Do Happy Valley. Do Happy Valley. We're doing that's Happy cool. Valley with the sweet golden black. And we have another version of it that's coming out too for spring. Uh, this is Steppin. It's kind of a couple different colors. Storm, Storm made it up. Uh, we got this one. There's a bunch of new stuff. Going to have it online in the next couple of weeks. Um, but check it out Keep in a few stores now. For it. Yeah, it's already at a few stores in Alberta. Um, check it out. Make sure you get your merch. Cowboyshit.ca. Listen to past episodes. And uh, yeah, that's all. Thanks I- for tuning in, people. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh, another, another solid show. Appreciate you. We'll, uh, we'll catch you, catch you all next time. Thanks again to our guest, CJ Box, our editor Sean Morton, my co-host Wacy Anderson. We'll uh, catch you all next time. He's Atlanta, and there's beer in Texarkana, and we'll bring it back no matter what it takes.